Well, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16 today. And if you are new with us, we've been walking through this series that we've entitled Full Length Mirror. We're walking through verse by verse the book of James. We'll wrap that up uh, first week in July, walking through this book. And the reason why we've called it Full Length Mirror is when you think about the purpose of a mirror, we've said this every week, and I hope that it's already, that as I'm saying it, you can already say it with me. But really, the purpose of a mirror is really threefold when you think about it, right? It shows you who you are, shows you how you are, and it shows you what needs to change. And when we think about when we look in a mirror, and oftentimes we have these times in our life where we look in the mirror and we don't necessarily like what we see in the how piece, and what we'll do is we'll have great intentions and say, well, I need to lose a few pounds, I need to do this, I need to do that. And, and oftentimes, if you're like me and probably many of us in here, we have great intentions, but it sometimes doesn't lead to actual transformation. Like, we start out great, but we have trouble keeping to what we've decided when we looked in the mirror needs change. And that's oftentimes true, though it should not be something that we strive for or are okay with. That same type of thing is true in our walk with the Lord often, where we look into the mirror of God's Word, and James 1 refers to God's Word as a mirror, and we look into God's Word and we see who we are and we see how we are, and we say, well, I'm also seeing what needs to change, and so whether that be in a gathering on a Sunday morning or in our life groups or in another environment, is we hear God's Word, we look into it, we see what needs to change, we make a decision to change, but oftentimes it doesn't move past those good intentions. And so what we've been encouraging one another with and what God's Word has been encouraging us with is how do we move from good intentions to transformation in our walk with the Lord? And we've been walking through each verse in the book of James, looking at the things that James is specifically addressing to the Jewish Christians scattered across the world and seeing that the very same things that James is addressing to the reader of that day through the leading of the Holy Spirit is the same things that we need to hear today. And this morning is no different. And so hopefully you're in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And I want to begin reading in verse 13. So you look along with me as I read out loud. It says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend, as, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live here or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows what is the right thing to do and fails to do it, it is sin. So here's the background of the audience that James is writing to. Evidently, we know that there's wealthy people that James is addressing because we saw that in, in, in other parts of 
this, this book, and we'll see that next week in chapter 5, that there were wealthy individuals that James is writing to. And many of these wealthy individuals were businessmen. And what you need to know in the time that James is writing them in the, in the first century is that many businessmen would travel from place to place, like, just like that is true of today. The only difference is, is the means of travel they took, right? We all, we, it's, it's obvious, right? There weren't planes, there weren't cars, but they would go by boat and travel from place to place, from port to port, and do business. And so when James is writing these verses to these Jewish Christians, what he's saying is, is listen, many of you are living your lives in such a way that you are just assuming that you are in total control and that all God cares about is your business and your ways and your plans and your desire to make a profit And you're forgetting that God doesn't exist to serve you. You exist to serve God. So that's the background that James is writing to. Or the audience that he's writing to. The background that's taking place. And so here's what I want us to get today as we look at these few verses in James chapter 4. And we close out this chapter. It's this. That presumption upon God is the enemy to submission to God. Presumption upon God is the enemy or the antithesis or the opposite of submission to God. And what does that word presumption mean? Like it's not found in this passage of Scripture, but that's really what James is addressing, this presumption upon God that, that God, you're here for me. Presumption literally means this. If you look it up, it literally means this, an arrogant disregard of normal restraints. Like, I wonder how many of us live our lives with an attitude of presumption upon God rather than submission to God. Because I really want us to examine our lives today. I really want us, as we get into this passage of Scripture today, and just go word by word and verse by verse through these verses, 13 through 16, I really want us to ask ourselves, am I someone who's living my life with a presumption upon God rather than a submission to God. And so what I want to do this morning is look at what presumption says and how presumption operates and look at how submission, what submission says and how submission to God operates. And so let's start first with the presumption side. I want to give you three things that presumption upon God says from these verses. So let's look at verse 13 again. We just read it, but let's look at it again and hone in on this one verse. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. See, this presumption upon God is just presuming that, you know what? God's going to go along with my plans. Like, I don't even need to go to God with what I'm planning to do. God's going to go along with my plans. And the first thing that presumption says is this. My plans are better than God's plans. My plans? Oh, so much better than God's plans. So much better than God's plans is I don't even need to go to God with my plans because I know how amazing they are. And my plans, they're way better than God's plans. And here's a great question to ask to start to evaluate, man, am I living a life of presumption upon God? Is how are you reacting right now 
as your plans are not materializing. How are you reacting to that? How's that sitting with you right now? As your plans that you thought were so much better than anybody else's plans, let alone God's plans, but they're not materializing the way that you thought that they should. See, when I'm believing that my plans are better than God's plans, here's how I'm thinking. I'm thinking that I know more than God does. Therefore, I'm right and God's wrong. See, some of you, you've planned in such a way and you've done things in such a way and you've put your hopes in such a way that your plans, that you are so right, and because they've not materialized the way that they should, you're struggling with anger and bitterness towards God. Why? Because you were convinced that you were right and anybody else that disagrees with you was wrong, including God. Including God. And when we presume upon God and believe that our plans are better than God's plans. We're seeing God in such a way that says, God, you exist to do my bidding. Now, here's what I know. Anybody that's a follower of Jesus Christ would never think to say those words out loud. But I wonder how many of us think that in here. Because we're believing, God, there's no way that you know better how to run my life than I do. God, my plans are better than your plans. Here's the second thing presumption says, my life is to be lived on my terms. My life on my terms. Look at what it says at the end of verse 14. James asks this question, what is your life? Like, ask yourself that question. What is your life? What characterizes your life? How are you living your life? And I wonder if we're presuming upon God with our lives because we're living our lives in such a way that says, God, my life on my terms. My life is about my happiness. My decisions revolve around me. My values revolve around me. My relationships revolve around me. Everything revolves around me. I'm at the center of everything in my life and everyone and everything ought to revolve around me. Because that's what presumption says. My life on my terms. Here's the third thing that presumption says. It's found in verses 16 and 17. James says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. You're arrogant. What was the definition of presumption? An arrogant disregard of normal restraints. Like me not understanding who I am and who I'm not and being arrogant to think that I deserve something or am something that I'm not. And James says, this presumption is arrogance. He says, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, oftentimes we think of sin in the... In the mindset of sins of commission. Do you know what I mean by that? Commission in the sense of, of sin and I've done these things wrong against God's word. 
Like I've done this. I see it's clearly wrong. I need to ask forgiveness of it. I need to repent of it so that I can walk, get back in right relationship with the Lord. And I would say I agree with that, that that needs to be your response. But we always think of sin in the midst of commission. What are the things that I have done that are wrong? But we rarely think of sin in the terms of sins of omission. Here's what I mean by that. The things that I'm not doing that God wants me to do. Like, what is it in my life that I am disregarding that God wants me to do in my life and I'm not doing those things? See, that's sins of omission. It's two types of sins. Commission, the things that I have done that are wrong, and sins of omission, the things that I should be doing that I'm not doing. And that's what James is getting at in verse 17. See, here's the third thing presumption says. Presumption says, my desires determine if I obey God's word. My desires. My desires determine, determine if I obey God's word. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you would say, man, I love going to a Chinese buffet? Now, hold on, hold on, keep your hands down. Because some of you are like health, health nuts, and you're like, I would never think of going to a Chinese buffet. I didn't say, is it healthy for you? I didn't say, do you go to it? I said, do you want to? So how many of you are like, man, I, I, I love a good Chinese buffet. I can't go there now. I'm on a diet, whatever it is. But no, raise your hand. You like Chinese buffets. I've not found one in Winston-Salem yet, but I'm just letting you know. I know I'm now I'm going to get 50 of them after the service. Man, I love Chinese buffets. Like I haven't had Chinese food in like three months. And I had a weak moment. Last week, and I was like, man, I want some Chinese. And Chinese food, which I have plenty of Asian friends that remind me often that that is not what they eat. But nevertheless, like Chinese food, man, it is amazing in the moment. And then you feel like somebody just hooked up a hose to you and just went, shh, shh, shh. And you feel, right? Right? Don't you feel? But, but nevertheless, I digress. You go to a Chinese buffet, and what do you do at that Chinese buffet? Man, you go to one of those places that's amazing, and it's got like three or four long lines of endless food that you love, and you get that plate, and you go station by station. You're like, ooh, man, I want some of that, and I want some of that. Nah, I'm really not crazy about those garlic noodles. I don't want that. Oh, man, I love sesame chicken. Yes, let me get lots of that. Oh, yes, pork fried rice, so amazing. Yes, I want some of that. And what we do when we go through that buffet is we choose what we like and what we don't like, right? Don't like that? Going to pass over that. Like this? Going to take some of that. Going to take a lot of this. And oftentimes we treat God's word just like we're at a buffet line. And so when something's going on in our life or as we're walking with the Lord and if we're not careful, we're living our life out of presumption, this is how we approach God's word. We're like, okay, God, like, like man, I love the Psalms. Love the Psalms. I go to the Psalms and I'm reminded that God's my refuge and God's my fortress and God's my rock and God's my shepherd and those are amazing verses, and don't get me wrong, I think Psalms are tremendous. Praise God that God has given us those things to remind us of who he is. But when we then come over and we flip over to some other passage of Scripture and we're 
going into the epistles and I read, man, I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I'm to glorify God in my body, which is his. I'm to flee sexual immorality. I'm to stay away from worshiping anything or anyone other than my relationship with the Lord. And I come to those passages of Scripture, and I'm like in that buffet line, I'm like, eh, that really doesn't, that really isn't jiving with what I'm craving today. So I'm going to pass on to that. Ooh, let me get some more about what God can do for me. I like those passages of Scripture. I'm going to get lots of that and heap that on my plate. Mm, that one tells me I got to leave this and I got to stop doing this. I'm going to pass over that. We treat God's word that way. And when we're treating God's word that way, just like James says, whoever knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Whoever, in my terms, in this illustration, treats God like a buffet line, to him it's sin. See, when I'm living my life and I'm like, well, depending on what my desires are, my desires determine whether or not I obey God's word, I'm living my life out of presumption. But let's focus this morning now on what submission to God says. Because you may have already been going through those and you're like, okay, I'm going to approach this honestly and I'm going to say to myself, am I living my life out of presumption? And so you're like, man, I am living my life thinking that my plans are better than God's plans. And right now I'm mad at God. I'm, I'm bitter towards God. I'm angry towards God because God did something that I thought was wrong and this is the way it should be and not this way. Okay, God, presumption. As I evaluate and I think about my life that, man, I am at the center of my life. Like, I am the sun in my own solar system. God, I am treating you, your word, like a buffet line. Here's the reality. Some of you are right now, and you're not liking what God's word is saying right now. And you're like, man, I don't want to listen to that. Well, then you've already answered your question. For sure, it's presumption. But let's see what submission says. Let's see how we're supposed to approach God. Here's the first thing that submission to God says. Number one, God's plans are better than my plans. God's plans are better than my plans. Because look at what he says at the beginning of verse 14. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so when I'm reminded of that reality and I'm living my life out of submission, I'm saying, God, I recognize and I embrace the reality that your plans are better than my plans. And in embracing that reality, that means I need to mourn over the reality that my plans aren't better than your plans. I need to mourn that. I need to, to say, okay, God, I don't understand why you didn't do that. I don't understand why there was anything wrong with that dream, with that desire, with that prayer. God, I, I can't explain it. I line it up with your word. There's nothing sinful against that, but God, I don't understand it, but God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to believe that your plans are better than my plans. That's submission. That's submission to God. And here's why I can believe that God's plans is better, are better than my plans today. Because many times it's hard to believe that in the moment of a circumstance. But here's why I can believe that. Because I don't know what tomorrow brings, as this verse says, but I have a reality and assurance that God does. I don't know, God. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know that you do. 
And that's Paul's point in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. In everything, my plans not coming to fruition would fall under that category of everything. Would you not agree? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God, the reason why I can believe that your plans are better than my plans is because I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you do. The reason why I can believe that your plans are better than my plans is because I don't have all the answers, but you do. Like, I want to have all the answers. I like to fix stuff. Whatever it is. Lori reminds, you, Lori reminds me all the time, that's not your problem to fix. I like to fix stuff. And oftentimes in my life, I need to remind myself, God, I don't have all the answers. And when I start to start to believe that I do, God allows me to be reminded through different ways that I don't. That God, your plans are better than my plans. I don't have all the answers, but praise God that you do. See, Psalm 119 verses 105 is a great verse to remind us of that reality. Where it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, I can believe that God's plans are better than my plans because of this as well. That I don't know often what's best for my life, but God does. God knows what's better for me than I do. I mean, that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think that you have all the answers. Don't think that you have all the plans. Don't think that you always know what's best. No, no, no. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Straight. Listen, don't get me wrong. I love to plan. I love to have a plan. Ambiguity stresses me out. Stresses me out. Just ask my wife. Ambiguity stresses me out. I don't like to live in ambiguity. And it's not that we don't plan and we don't prepare, but here's what I do. I take my plans, I take my preparations, and I hold them with open hands to a God saying, God, this is what I believe we need to go after, but at the same time, I'm not holding under those tightly. I'm holding those things with open hands, believing, submitting to you, saying, God, your plans are better than my plans. Here's the second thing submission says. My life, your life, the one life that we have, I have one life to invest in God's kingdom. That's the second thing that submission says. I have one life to invest in God's kingdom. Like life's not a video game. I can't hit reset. I don't get six lives. I have one life to invest in God's kingdom. Look at what it says at the end of verse 14. We looked at this question already, but now we're going to get the answer. What is your life? See, presumption says, my life on my terms. That's my life. That's how I ought to live my life. James says, what's your life? And here's how he describes it. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're just here for a short time and you're gone. 
Now you're sitting there and you're like, man, like how is that encouraging? But I'll tell you what, you talk to people, the older that you get, the more that you realize that's a reality. And I'm 41 years old, and I, you know, I feel, still feel like in many ways, like my body's still thinking, my brain's still thinking, hey man, you're still 23, I haven't, like, but I say that often now, because I know the days are coming where I will never be able to say that again. But I look at my life and I'm like, okay, let's say I live to be 82. I'm halfway done with my life. Not saying that in a presumptuous way, but let's just say that's how long. Average person lives. I know it's gone up. So let's say it's the 80s, like halfway done. Some of you are looking at your life and you're like, man, if everything goes as I seem to be told, I got 10 years left. I got 20 years left i got 60 years left. And you don't have to do life long to understand that tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Just in my life, what I've experienced, I've had high school friends die in a car accident, gone, 15, 16 years old. I've had to do funerals for babies, gone. Thought you had 20 more years with your husband or spouse, gone. That's the reality of our life. That's the consequences of sin in this world. Our our bodies decay. Cancer comes. Drunk drivers drive. Whatever it is. That's our reality. And I don't say that in some sadistic way. I just say that as a reality that what James is reminding us of is for me to live presumptuously, like I got a million years and I can just, li- I can just live my life. And yeah, at some point I'm going to do what God wants me to do. But right now my life's about me. For me to live that way is presumptuous and it's sinful and it's wrong if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you haven't put your faith and trust in him, you, there's no other way you should be thinking because you have yet to come to the realization that your life's not for you, that God loves you, that you can't ever earn God's favor, that he loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to live, die, and be risen for you. And if you're here today and, and you're that person, then I want you to hear how much God loves you. But the reality is that tomorrow is not promised to any man or woman. And James says, our lives are here today and gone tomorrow, and we're on borrowed time. So the question is, is how am I living my life to make an impact for eternity and to make an impact in others so that when I am gone, I have poured out my life into others to make an impact in them and an impact to where God has placed me sovereignly. So we don't think about that enough. See, that reality that I got one life to invest in God's kingdom, that ought to drive me to submit to God. As a dad, I got one of my main purposes is to pour into my kids. To foster in them a love for Jesus Christ. I got one life to do that. I got one life to do that with you're sitting here today, you got one life to do that with your grandkids. I have one life to do that with my neighbors. I have one life to do that with the people that I work with. I have one life to do that. 
Something that stuck with me with the first person that I served under after I graduated seminary in northern Pennsylvania, he said this. He's like, Johnny, if you haven't invested your life in enough people to carry your casket, you haven't lived your life the way that God desires you to do it. My life's not for me. I'm not at the center of it. Here's the third thing that submission says. Obedience to God's word is God's will and best for your life. Look at what it says in verse 15. James says, hey, miss, listen, what's your life? It's a mist. It appears and it's gone. But then he says, instead, here's how we ought to act. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Like, if the Lord wills. Like, God, my life is about obedience to your word, and your word is your will, and your word and your will is your best for my life. So, Lord, I'm going to live my life not by what's my will, but I'm going to live my life by what's your will. There's so much confusion about God's will, is there not? Like, I think if there's probably one question I get asked more by followers of Jesus Christ, it's like, how do I find God's will? And it's a sincere question. And whenever I get asked that question, I always think about this passage of Scripture. And you can turn to it or write it down. I'm going to read it right now. It's in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, where Paul says this, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. What did we just say the second thing submission says? My life, I have one life to invest in God's kingdom. James 5 says we ought to watch how we're walking, making best use of the time, understanding that my life, my gifts, my talents, my time, my money, my resources are not mine in the first place. They're given to me to steward for God and to invest in his kingdom into things that will last for all of eternity, making best use of the time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we're called to know what it is. We're called to understand what it is. But that's still, you're like, that still doesn't answer my question. What is it? And I want you to understand something this morning. I want this to be in your memory bank. And so if you need to write it down, write it down. God's word is God's will. God's word is God's will. Write these verses down. We don't have time to turn there, but I want to read them. Because these are, this, these are the passages in the New Testament where it clearly says this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 through 4. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a theological word that means you growing more and more in your relationship with the Lord. It's you looking at your life and being honest and saying, God, I know I'm not who I want to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be. And God, I can look at my life, not in a prideful way, but in praising you and say, man, since I put my faith and trust in you as my Lord and Savior, and not in the good that I've done, but in the perfection that you've accomplished through your life, death, and resurrection, as I've done that, I've begun to see me grow more and more in my relationship with you. And 1 Thessalonians, as we see it here in chapter 4, Paul says, you know what God's will is for you? Your sanctification, for you to grow more and more in your relationship with the Lord. 
That's God's will for your life. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 15 through 18 says this, See that no one repays evil for, e- evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To have a joyful heart, to be a person of prayer, and to give thanks to God even in the midst of difficult circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, this is God's will. So i got to look at my life and I'm like, well, am I living my life according to God's will? Am I growing more and more in my relationship with Him? Am I seeing the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit in my life? Am I seeing rejoicing happening? Am I praying to God and taking to Him the things that are upon me and and praying for my brothers and sisters? Am I giving thanks in all circumstances? And if I look at those things, not in a legalistic way, but say, Lord, those are the desires of my heart, then I'm living in God's will. 1 Peter 2.15 talks about this as well. This is God's will, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, that my life ought to be lived in such a way that people can see a change in my life. That's God's will. See, so many times when we talk about God's will, you know what we think of? Depending on the age group, if you're a college student, it's always like, who am I supposed to marry? I don't want to miss that one person that exists out there for me, and only one person, and Good night. Like, what happens if I miss her? And I marry a dud. Or I marry a loser and I miss him. Like, we always think of that when we're in college. I used to think that too. Like, like I don't want to miss God's will. Like, God's some architect up in heaven saying, ha, 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 ha. I hope they figure out what I have for them. But it's always God's will is who I'm going to marry, what job am I going to have, where am I going to live, how many kids are we going to have, like all of those questions, right? And the reality is, is when we look at God's word, he never talks about that being his will. What he says is, is my word is my will. So it's almost as us viewing that God's word, which is his will, is like this fence, And it tells us what the boundaries are and when we step out of bounds that we need to get back into bounds. But inside of that fence, there's this lush green pasture that I can run and experience his blessing. And not that there's not hard times, but it's a security in knowing that, God, I'm inside of your fence. And if I'm living my life according to your word and I'm not living my life as some buffet line, my desires determine what I'm going to obey. But God, I understand, no, 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 my obedience to your word is your will and my best for my life. I'm in God's will. I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss God's will when I have a submissive heart to say, Lord, my life is not my own. And I'm going to submit myself, place myself under what your word says and how I should live my life in my relationship with you and my relationships with others. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, many of you know it, but it's a verse that you ought to have memorized. Where Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All of it's God's word. You don't get to choose. All of it's God's word. God's word is his will. All scripture is breathed out by God. And listen to what it's profitable for, for teaching. So you can grow. It's for reproof. 
say, no, 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 you went out of bounds there. You went outside of my fence. That's not right. For correction, oh, let me tell you how much I love you and I'm gonna give more grace and my grace is greater than your sin and if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Let me give you that correction and remind you how to get back in the fence. It says, for training in righteousness. So that as I'm submitting to God's word and I'm seeing it as God's best and God's will for my life, I'm experiencing more and more change in my life. Training in righteousness. I'm building up my spiritual muscles. For what purpose? That the man or woman of God can be complete and equipped for every good work. Listen to me. When I'm living a life out of presumption, it's going to always lead to conflict. But when I'm leaving, leaving, living a life of submission, it's going to lead to contentment. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but here's what I know. Your plans are better than my plans. God, I thank you that even in my little life that's a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow, you give me the opportunity to invest my, son, my life into something, into the things that will last for all of eternity. I don't deserve that, but you let me do that. God, thank you for your word and how it shows me your will so I can experience what's best for my life and how you desire me to live my life. See, we're going to come to these tables of communion here in just a moment. And we've walked through what presumption upon God says and we've walked through what submission to God says. And what I want us to do is to just take some time and to reflect and to examine our hearts and ask ourselves, what am I living my life by? Presumption or submission? Submission. 